If you insist on knowing my bliss, I'll tell you this. If you only want to know the, what the reason is, I only smile when I lie, and then I'll tell you. It's like Dr. Seuss wrote the fucking lyrics. <laughs> This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Fazzolo and Kirik McMillan. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. This time we're coming to you from a special spring break destination. We're on the shores of, uh, what lake are we on? I think it's Nolan Lake. Nolan Lake? All right. We're Nothing the... screams spring break like southwestern Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen so many white people collected in one place well, <laughs> since I was in Elmhurst. Ooh, tough shot at Elmhurst there. Since you graduated York. <laughs> since I graduated high school. <laughs> All right, so we are here again. I am, as always, with my co-host, Nick Fasolo. Hey, so today we're going to be looking at um, a band that, again, is one of those sneaky bands that kind of like just implanted themselves into the 1980s and would not go away. And they had been there for the entire time. It's a band out of Philadelphia, uh, Hall & Oates. You can't escape my Yeah, Hall & Oates, uh, interestingly enough, hated being referred to as Hall & Oates. I don't care. That, <laughs> that's, that's, all they, that's, that's all we're calling them. That's what they were. Every, sure. There's not one person that calls them by what, what Daryl Hall says that their proper name is. Is Daryl Hall, John Oates. Yeah. They even dropped the and out of it. It's just Daryl Hall, John Oates. And this this is kind of like, this is, leads you into like the first discussion we have to have about this band and this I think it's Daryl Hall. He is a Philadelphia red ass. <laughs> He's red ass about a lot of things in his career. And it's like, dude, you made your fucking money. You made all the music that you got to want to make. And now he sits up, holed up in that, that cabin of his out in the woods and, you know, plays all his music with, you know, whoever he wants to, to, to invite back to, uh, you know, Daryl's house. It's a pretty nice life. It, Yeah. I mean, but he's so red-ass about it. Like, every time he talks about it, he's like, you know, no, we were Daryl Hall, John Oates on the bill <laughs> because we are two independent artists. It's like, all right. Okay. Uh, hated being called Hall and Oates. However, they sued a granola company for naming their product Holland Oats, yeah. claiming it was a well-known mark of the group. But they don't want to be called that. That's what I mean. I mean, he's just like, he's so adversarial about just all these things in his career that's like, woe is me. Like, oh, people talk about me as Holland Oats and like, they don't know that we're two. Yeah, they see two dudes on the stage, like, obviously. Like, it's, I, it, he just bothers me. I, mean, I think he's, it's that Philadelphia guy, because when you get him past, like, that all, because I've, I've heard several interviews with him, and when you get him past, like, all of that other crap, like, you know, about, like, oh, we're independent artists, and he can do whatever he wants, he's talking about his partner, John Oates, and John Oates is, it's, it's obviously the normal one of the group, like, he's super normal, <laughs> like, super nice guy, you can right? sit down and actually, like, have a conversation with him about stuff, and, right? like, John, uh, Daryl Hall is, like, all up in arms about like how the music business wronged him and i think he's really pissed though that and he's got a case here he, he's really pissed that he listened to the managers and the image managers of the early 80s when his career started to take flight especially in the mtv music videos that they were doing and he listened to him because he didn't he admits it like, he didn't know what he was doing as far as like managing an image and these guys took him in a direction where he just i think he looks back on it and he says god damn yeah yeah. But like anybody, like even myself, you look back at like what we were doing in the eighties, sure, and you look back at it with like some sort of like humor, and and but he has he is humorless when he talks about stuff like that. Yeah, everybody got pulled into this eighties vibe. Most of the bands that we've talked about, which are obviously centered in that late seventies eighties era, so far, 
they've all had this sort of 80s era where they went heavy keyboard or they went super pop synth or synsonic drums or whatever. And he seems to be kind of ticked off about this. He got felled by um, Lyme disease pretty yeah. badly at one point. I don't recall what the what the duration was on that. He also sold his music catalog for an obscene amount of money. All the rights to that. Sold the rights to the music catalog for something like $80 million. Well, not a bad poll. No. For that stuff. No. That, you know. So these guys met at a band competition in Philadelphia. Uh, they were both members of different bands. Uh, they were both attending Temple University at the time. I mean, in 1967... Yeah. You're going all the way back. Like, that is like pre Woodstock era. Right. And the reason that they met was during this band competition, some gunfire rang out between <laughs> rival gangs nearby, and they ended up running into the same elevator trying to find shelter. And that's how they met. And they ended up sharing apartments for the next few years and started the band like three years later. I find this relationship interesting because it is so dominant relative to Daryl Hall and John Oates is the kind of afterthought. Though their first album was called Whole Oates. Yeah. Uh, it, right. It's just odd to me because John Oates seems like a punchline versus a partner. Yeah. In fact, there's a there's a really funny Simpsons episode where Lisa is, it's, it's called Born to Runner Up. And Lisa says something like, you know, it's okay to come in second place. There's no shame in being second. And now, Avis Renegar is proud to present the second best band in America. Will you welcome Garfunkel, Messina, Oates, and Lisa singing their number two hit, Born to Runner Up. It's a brilliant <laughs> sketch. Brilliant sketch. Well, even still, though, you know, Holland Oates is the most successful duo of all time. More than Simon and Garfunkel, more than Loggins and Messina. Um, and yeah, John Hotz. John Oates doesn't seem like he does much in the band. Like, he, you know, yeah, he jumps around with the guitar and everything, and he looks, you know, like he's part of the, the front men out front. But I mean, like, like they had to go out and get G.E. Smith to do most right, of the guitar parts. Right, right. And from you know, Saturday Night Live fame. I don't know what John Oates does for the band. Besides write the songs, I, I suppose he wrote you know this you know the songs with with uh, with Daryl Hall. But like as far as performance goes, like I watched you know I grew up on MTV and like Private Eyes was one of the very first videos I remember. And all I remember is like the, I see a guy in a green jacket singing. He looks like the front man, and then there's this guy that's like kind of like like bouncing around back and forth but not really doing anything but he has a guitar in his hand and he's just kind of like, like weirdly blinking his eyes in the camera and he's just like he was always out of place but that's the thing about this band is like i think he's so pissed at like his like how they were perceived right and because they were always perceived like you know the hollow notes was like kind of well perceived as like kind of a joke band like kind of like a like nobody was running around with a you know a, a man eater shirt on like you know a, a hall and oats concert shirt just not was just not a cool you thing. haven't seen every photo of me yet <laughs> yeah I, I we always thought like they were in on the joke right too like hall and oats is like yeah i guess we're the kind of the nerdy rock guys but you know you know watch us while we have six number one hits and you know dominate the airwaves of the last you know, the next 10 years, right. which is kind of what they did. Oh, they were huge. Yeah, they were gigantic. Um, but they, you always felt like they were kind of in on the joke. Right. Like, in those videos, like, and he's pissed about his, the way he's perceived. He has every right to be pissed if those aren't his ideas because they're fucking the stupidest videos that I remember. <laughs> like, the the, uh, the the one for Out of Touch where they're on gigantic instruments and it's like, you know, if I didn't know any better because by all accounts, they're not drug addicts, they're not drinkers or anything like that. I would say that is 10 pounds of cocaine running rampant in a in a you know in a bathroom somewhere and saying oh i got it i got the idea for the next video we're gonna have you know instruments that are five times the size of us let's do this <laughs> but i think that the image managers took over control and and i think that's probably why he's a lot of really pissed about it yeah because he he sees himself as a soul singer and i will give him that 
I understand where he's coming from. He's a soul singer from Philadelphia. He grew up with that music. He was, you know, in, you know, mired in that music and in the gospel and soul. You know, it was part of the Chitlin circuit that ran through that town. And you know, he is. You know, they, these guys were born in '46 and '48. Oh yeah, like they're yeah. they're they're right around my father's age. And like, so that's like he gets really bothered, like really red ass when you when he is like put into the blue-eyed soul category. Right. Really red ass. Which is something that I, I saw as well on a label, and I thought, what the hell is blue-eyed soul? I'd never heard of it before. It's white guy soul. Music. It's, yeah. It's uh, it's white soul. It's it's yeah. rhythm and blues uh, and soul music played by Caucasians. And I thought, right. you know what? That's a pretty damn good description of Hall & Oates. Ooh. It's, uh... You better hope he doesn't hear this. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be knocking down your door. He just might be. Well, so, like... Blue-Eyed Soul is Phil Collins when he did You Can't Hurry Love. That's for sure Blue-Eyed Soul. Oh. Right? And uh, Simply that Red. Was my, that was my number one yeah. most oh, hated yeah. song. Yeah. Listen to Phil Collins, by the way, folks. It's a pretty good episode. Oh, my God. Phil's not getting any love. I mean, he... <laughs> oh, that's... It, you won't be disappointed. It's not a waste of your time. Simply Red, um, Holding Back the Years. That's Blue-Eyed Soul, for sure. I'm not going to go and say that um, Hall and Oates is Blue-Eyed Soul because those guys, like... They are in their spurs in that 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 arena, right? And it was just the music. Like he really fucking hates the music industry. He hates it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he kind of likes you know laughs up his sleeve in his interviews about it. He's like, yeah, I made my fucking money and I left. It was good on you. All right, fine, fair enough. Like you did, right? Um, and and he also like really he doesn't like the the music industry because they they tried to label him. They did label him, and they they labeled him to where it was out of his control. And then he's like, oh, he just threw up his hands. Like fuck, I guess I'm labeled with this blue eyed soul shit, right? And he fucking hated it. And I give it to him. I'll, I'll give it to him. Like right. I would be bothered by that too. You know, and listening for this, I. I did go through their early, I went through each of their albums. I found that their early stuff actually wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes when you listen to a band, take Journey, for example, and you listen to that early stuff and you're like, wow, this is just worlds apart from from the stuff that I know. I didn't find that with, uh, with Hall & Oates. I found them to be... Yeah, a little folkier, but again, it was the it was the early and mid seventies when they started. It kind of felt like a, a blend of Elton John and Billy Joel, and I'm guessing it was Hall who's because who, he was the primary vocalist. Eventually, I'm guessing it's his voice that you're hearing in this early stuff. It's high enough that it almost gives him kind of a Joni Mitchell sort of sound, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that there was a more of a blend of both of them and the vocals versus the the albums that we got to know where you heard predominantly Daryl Hall. Right. But well, well anyway, the- let's uh let's get into our list here. Yeah, for sure. Let's do that. All right, starting it off with an honorable mention. What do you have? I, I uh you know, I I wrestled around with this because they do have they have they have they have, they have quite a catalog of you know fairly good songs that span a lot of different you know, kind of almost genres, but like when they really hit the main vein of, you know, where pop and new wave and their part of R&B or soul um, kind of, they really hit that vein with private eyes. In his excitement, thinking about hollow notes, my esteemed colleague confused himself with this pick. What he meant to say was Maneater, which you'll have the pleasure of hearing right now. And it just went super meteoric. Like, they had three number ones off of that album. Like, that was their greatest, you know, their best, uh, most successful album. Um, but then after that, then then it just got, like, they were getting out there with some of their stuff. And I and I just, I wrestled with it because I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I like this song. But then I listened to it more and more, and, and I'm like, there's something to it. it. There's nothing like it in the arena uh, or the years in which they were playing uh, when they released Maneater. There's nothing like it. Right. Like, on the radio, on MTV, there's just nothing like it. And I don't know. I I think I like that song. <laughs> I, I think I do. After after convincing myself for years, like, I fucking hate that particular song about Hall & Oates, like, I think I like Maneater. 
So it's an honorable mention. I'm just making the list. That's fair enough. You know, all of these you can. I so when I created my list, I had this. You know, kind of like when I do this, I create this list of songs that I recognize, that I know, uh, some that I've forgotten about, whatever. And I start to organize them, and some you go, oh man, that's you know, that's probably pretty good, or you go, wow, that's a candidate for the bottom. And when we've done these, I haven't had a lot of candidates for the bottom. Mm, for Hall and Oates? No, for oh, all the oh, other ones sure. we've done, I haven't had that many candidates for the bottom. For Hall and Oates, I had a rather well-populated list for the bottom. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, I looked at it and said, as much as I dislike that song, it could possibly shift over to something like an honorable mention because it was catchy or reminded me of, a, you know, something in my life or whatever yeah it just sounded differently right and and when when the when the intro uh gets done doing what it's doing and then it pops in with that swing uh kind of swing time right and he comes in with his vocals like i don't really care what he's talking about it sounds good it sounds you know you know it's just poppy yeah he's got it you know they they had that groove these guys are really really good at what they do as far as songwriting um they are good at that because like every single album that they have going all the way back to like 1973 um you know they, they got to write at least one time on each album right and then multiple times on some albums like you can see like they're they they caught it and they got it and it you know yeah it makes yeah. a difference Maneater didn't make either of my lists and i think it was one of those that was that that was teetering on the edge of both all right for my honorable mention and and all of these are you know this is Hall and Oates, so you you, you kind of hang yourself out there in the breeze for ridicule. Uh, <laughs> but, but my honorable mention, you better not be, you better not hear this. <laughs> my honorable mention is Kiss is on my list. don't know why this is on my list uh, it's kitschy it's it's cheesy I, the, I maybe it's just the lyrics of the best things in life it's what i miss when i turn out the light yeah i mean the cheese factor for these guys is off the charts oh, it's huge. sometimes it's sometimes. huge if you insist on knowing my bliss i'll tell you this if you only <laughs> want to know the, what the reason is i only smile when i lie and then i'll tell you it's like dr seuss wrote the fucking lyrics <laughs> But there's something about the beat and the and the bounciness and the and the po- poetry, I guess, that uh, he he got me on it. That's so. a number. That's a number one hit, right? Oh, I believe it. It probably I think so. is. Yeah, yeah, I believe it probably is. Yeah, it was off, it was off the same Private Eyes um, album. Okay. Yeah. Oof. All right. What all you right. got for number five? All right. So now number five is going all the way back to their very first. I think this is their first album, the um, Abandoned Luncheonette. Okay. Album. Yep. Um, it is the the song She's Gone. And pretty bodies as helped as other memories. They can never be what she was to me. She's gone. She's gone. Oh, I. Oh, I. I better learn how to face it. She's gone. She's gone. Oh, I. Oh, I. I paid the devil to replace her. And she's gone. She's Gone didn't get a lot of record play or a lot of a lot of radio play until after um, Sarah Smile, a couple of albums later, dropped. Right. And they're like, you know what? This also sounds like She's Gone, so let's pop this one. And it got a, a second life. This is like their soul roots, right? Yep. So like this is where, you know, you can really tell like he's the real deal. Like these two guys are the real deal. When it comes to like Philadelphia sound and the Philadelphia soul, um, that's where like I know like these he's not just bullshitting around like you know, this is who I am. This is really who he is and this is who this band is. And you know, because it's it's a it's a slow groove and then it really, really like ramps up into the chorus. 
the fa my favorite part of just about all of their music is the three semitone, you know, like a modal change at the very end. Mm -hmm. They they do like it's almost it's almost Broadwayish, but um, they do three semitone modules and then it stops and then he belts out the last lyrics. She gone and then the, the the harmonizations and the back and the forth. It's a really good example of like soul music. Like for me, I love it. I I think it's great. So you have sniped me once again, <sighs> and in this case, you sniped my number one. Is that right? That is my number one. No shit. I, I like this song a lot. I think this is uh, a perfect example of their blue-eyed soul description. You better not use um, that fucking term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's a little kind of like shaft feel to the bass line in mm -hmm. this. It's got a little bit of funk to it. They're both singing the same line during the verses, but they're like three octaves apart. Yeah. A couple of bust-out vocal parts from, from Daryl Hall that are great. Mm -hmm. But this is 1973, too. Yeah. So this is pretty heady soul and R&B space yeah. for them. Yeah. Rolling Stone said the song is about Daryl Hall's divorce that he was going through at the time, while Oates apparently stated in a VH1 interview that it's about him being stood up by a girlfriend. They both got writing credits on it, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's a if it's a mix of both. Uh, according to John Oates, it's the best Hall and Oates video of all time, calling it a timepiece that really illustrates just how experimental we could be. I've never seen the video, so I couldn't tell anything about it. I don't remember this video at all. It must have been one of those early early ones. I don't remember right. it at all. So my complaint about this song, and and when I heard it, I went, oh my gosh, we might have answered the question that we have been asking over multiple podcasts. This song has one of the corniest saxophone solos in it. been asking the question who is responsible for the 80s saxophone sound we're gonna tear the lid off this fucker right now i think <laughs> i think we might have discovered it now those of you who are following us on various social platforms feel free to weigh in if you've got a better suggestion we think or i think that it's quite possible that hollow notes is responsible for the corny ass sax solo corny sax bullshit we're oh. not talking about clarence clemens where he was an actual instrument of the east street band or guys gonna, that used it well like in excess in excess used it well too and it, exactly we're talking about there is no reason for that fucking sax to be in <laughs> no, this song it's terrible nor should it be up in the mix and should it be going on for this fucking long and how how did i mean at like Sax players never had it so good no. in the 80s. Who if decided, you played the yeah. fucking sax, you had a job somewhere. Some asshole wants you to be like, Eric, come on, play on this Michelob commercial. Eric Clapton needs a sax. Lethal Weapon wants you for the fucking soundtrack. Like, what's going on with the saxophone? Yeah. It's terrible. Terrible. I think you're right, though, because as, as, as I was doing my research for these fucking guys, I noted it, it like... It was right there. Yeah. It's like, oh, sax. Yeah. Oh, another song, sax. Oh, another song, sax. And none of them were good. No. Like, you take them out and they're just fine. The song is fine without them. And this album came out in 1973. Yes. So this so is about the earliest example I could find of that shitty yes. ass saxophone. I there can't was... think of another band that was doing sax work back then. Uh, not like this. I mean, no. this is that 80s sound, that, that whiny 80s saxophone exactly. song. Exactly. Well, we can move on, but uh, there's also there's a cover here uh, that I also found. Lou Rawls covered it, and I think after yeah. he covered it, it actually gave this song some more momentum, mm -hmm. and it's a pretty good cover. Now it's up to me. All right, so that brings us to my number five. And my number five is their version, which they wrote it, of Every Time You Go Away. 
Now this song makes my list because I think it is so much better than the cover that was released in I think 85 and this was 83 or 82. Uh, it was released in 85 by Paul Young, which I'll drop a sample of in a bit just so you can hear it. I think the, the lyrics on this song are good. I like the way this song sounds so much better than Paul Young's version. Uh, and it's interesting, you can't see Spotify play counts unless it's in the artist's top played songs, which are, I think, the top five or seven or something like that. This doesn't make Hall & Oates top five. Paul Young's version has about 100 million plays on it, though. <laughs> and one source I saw online said oh that God. this version by Paul Young There's is the most... a lot of grocery stores. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Song. A lot of elevators, <laughs> a lot of dentist offices. They, they, a lot. One source I, I saw said that his version is the most popular version of this song, which is unfortunate because I think it's really kind of cheesy. No, doesn't hit me at all. Don't like it. Didn't, <laughs> never liked it. Always, always recoiled at it. It's just I don't. It's such a blast song. It's such a, it has no like for a soul singer like this is a soulless song. Like it's just like I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't dig it at all. Not at all. It, it again, it's a dentist office song. It's like, it's like. Ugh. Well, every one of their songs is a dentist no, office song. No, that's not true. It's, it's not true. There's a lot of good music here. <laughs> a lot of good poppy music. It's not a poppy thing. I don't like it. All right. No. Moving on. What you got for four? All right. So number four is uh, we're moving up the '70s here, and uh, their first. I think this is their first number one hit. Rich girl. You're a rich girl, and you're gone too far, cause you know it don't matter anyway. You can rely on the old man's money. You can rely on the old man's money. It's a bitch, girl, but it's gone too far. Cause you know it don't matter anyway. Say money, money won't get you too far, get you too far. this song i've always liked this song this song reminds me of like driving around <laughs> being cartered around by my mother uh <laughs> when i was like eight years old i'd be, have to go everywhere with her like to this to the mall and to the store it's like and this song in 76 like i'm four years old but it's it was it was a very popular song for a very very long time it, it charted for years um, and with good reason. It's a really good song. I like it. It's poppy. It's it's bubbly, and um, you know, yeah, good I, beat. Yeah, I like. It's just again, it's a different type of soul music, but it's still rooted in that you know that that R and B soul kind of. They haven't hit like new wave yet. Like the new wave hasn't really come into their songwriting yet, and it's still kind of like a keyboard oriented. Like there's no guitars at all. I don't. There's one. Like in the in the like, beginning, it's not dominant. No, it's not. And it's again begs the question: What is John Hall or John Oates doing on stage with him? Maybe that's why Hall is pissed. Could be. <laughs> All right, my number four is Out of Touch. Mm, love this song. I like the keys in this song a lot. They've got like three layers of them kind of running on the bottom end, and I don't know if this replaced the bass in this song or not, but it's they're covering the low-end notes, and then they've got mid-range, and they've got some real high ones, and I think that layer of keyboards in it is good. Uh, and in fact, Oates came up with the chorus while he was messing around with a synthesizer that he didn't know how to use. And uh, he did this in the studio while they were recording stuff, he told one of the producers in the studio, he's like, yeah, that sounds kind of good, but, you know, I got a band in mind, another Philly band that I, I think could use this and, you know, turn it into a hit. And the producer who heard him play it originally came back and said, no, man, keep that for yourself and make your own song out of it. This is my number two. Aha. Yeah. So you actually, yeah, this is a rarity. You pinched me too. So this is my number two. And uh, so this was their, their number one hit from 1984. 
uh, I think this is their last number one hit that they've had. I remember, this, so this is where my memory of this song comes from. I was uh, working at the fucking Arby's um, in Elmhurst. <laughs> this is my first, I think it was my first job for three twenty-five an hour, kids. Uh, yeah. And on, they have a uh, an hour and a half long loop of music uh, that they play in the dining room. And Out of Touch started the beginning of the loop. So when you heard Out of Touch, you knew an hour and a half had passed. And so I would always tune into that song because it, I, I really liked it. And I like the beat drop, I guess the kids call it right. these days. And, uh, you know, all his, his like, like his, his shriek, it's not really a shriek, but he's like, ah, you right. know, that. Right. He made it musical, and I was like, oh, man, that's really cool. I like this. So that's like one of the cooler four seconds that you'll get in a Hall & Oates song. But um, I knew every fucking bar of that song because I was so intently focused on it. Sure. And I was like, oh, shit, another hour and a half of my life has been wasted at every Arby's. Time, every time you heard it, you knew you were, what, about five and a half dollars richer than you were before the last time you had heard it? Worst jobs ever. And then when I was 16 years old, the night manager, I remember his name, Leaf, was 19. And he comes to me and he says, you know, you're really good at your job. And I said, leave, please stop right there. I don't want to be told that I'm good at this job. And he's like, they have a night manager program that you can get into and, and you can become a night manager in two years. And I said, we're not going to have this discussion again. Okay. I need to be out of this place as as, <laughs> as fast as possible um, because I see you leave and you're a nice guy and everything, but you are Already married with two children and you're 19 years old? Yeah. This is the end of the line for you, my friend. Okay? And it's not the end of the line for me. You didn't want to be Louis Anderson from Coming to America? Oh, my God. All right. What you got for number three? So number three is it's a weird one. I don't think that I don't know even know if a lot of people have heard it or know it. Um, it's from an album that they cut in 1990. So like right going like screeching into the grunge era, like like right before that. Um, and it's it's off the um, Change of Seasons album. And but it's it's a it's a song called So Close. Drop a some reason it's just like it's it's almost got like we're gonna get to this night it's like almost a foretelling of what like 90s music might listen to it might 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 sound like but it does have like that harbinger of um uh, out of touch also it's got big heavy drums and, a, and an interesting guitar hook in it too. us so I, I really like this song i always have like like that song when we were going through our list i'm like oh shit that's right i remember that song and it was like really late in their career and it as it turned out it was like the one of the last albums they put out in 1990. i like that song for them to come out with that when they did and still kind of hit our radar screen because we were you know kind of moving into different eras of music at that time it says something about Hall and & Oates and their ability yeah, to you yeah, know, because, stay alive. You know, you're in the emergency room waiting for the hair metal um, you know, patient to die. Like, that's 1990, right? <laughs> yeah. You have all those hair bands who are just, just gasping for air. Circling the, the drain. At the surface of the water. Just like, they know they're going down for the third time. And here comes Hall and Oates, just like with this poppy kind of like, hey, you know, things aren't so bad, you know, and here's a, you know, another love song. Kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's not what the, the rest of mainstream music was doing at the time. Very good. All right. My number three is I Can't Go For That. The album version is decent, but the version that made my list is the one CeeLo Green did on an episode of Live at Daryl's House.
think the way uh, the way he sings it is is his voice just fits this, and uh, and I like the uh, I like the groove. I like the way they do it. What about this song do you like, and and why don't the first keys just send you running? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I have the answer for that. It's got to be that bass line, right? You're, Probably. You're, you're a bass I'm a bass. Guy, I'm a bass guy. And that has got one. So this is my hate this song. Like, this is the song that I hate the most for me. And it is it is what, like, probably Daryl Hall is so pissed at um, because it kind of, like, this, this song basically um, umbrellas the whole, that's a jive-ass turkey song. It, it is. It's, it's like you're trying. Like I can't go for that. This, yeah, you're pumping out this rhythm of this bass line with those stupid raindrop keys in the front. I just get, that's a try hard jive ass turkey song. I don't know. How I you don't can, like it. I don't know that you can claim that this song is so much different from the rest of their catalog. It's all you know. They these all kind of fall together. They're not. All right, so, so I'll tell you unique, why. Unique, but they're they're not Here's totally different. different at the same time. It's, it's in parentheses. No can do. <laughs> no can do. <laughs> yeah, no can do. One of the jive ass most like the one of the most eighties things you can say that it's like do not <laughs> no can do. Come on. Hey son, will you mow the lawn? No can do. <laughs> it made the three too. It made the top three, which is shocking. <laughs> All right. Masturbatory fantasy. Who you got? Um, well, we're going to have to stay the new wave because I just need a palate cleanser from all of this nonsense. Um, so I like the Hooters. Mm. And so the Hooters are going to come out and uh, uh, set, the, set the stage. Anything in particular by the Hooters? Yeah. The, um, um, and we danced. And mm-hmm. uh, all, yeah. all you zombies, I love that. Totally. <laughs> I love Sweet. That too. I just want that two set list. And then I can see you later, Hooters. <laughs> and the Hall & Oates is going to come in and play five songs, these five songs on my list. Um, and then I want to I have a sit down with, with Hall uh, on the stage after he gets done with this set. Because I want to get down to it. Like, how much of a red ass is what's, he? What's your beef? How, what's his Philadelphia? Right. He's a Philadelphia guy. And it's Philadelphians are notorious for being... Just having a chip on their shoulder from being in New York's in New York, New York shadow. shadow. It's right. just like you know Boston to a similar degree. Um, they never really got over the fact that they're New York's little brothers. Right, like, get over it. You are because like where was the first place that he fucking ran to career to take flight? He ran right to New York. Right, like he knew it. Yeah, and he's from Philly too. Like if he was such a Philly soul guy, like make your career there. Right, but he didn't because he knows. Like, and that's what all Philadelphians and Bostonians need to know. Like <laughs> New York is your mama. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Chicago gets that also. Like, we get that we're the second city for. I don't buy that chip at all. We don't have a chip on our shoulder. We don't need New York. No. We're far I'm enough, we're far so enough that, away. That's that's for us. Um, like, the, the third leg of that is going to be a sit down chat with Daryl Hall. Okay. And John Holtz can be there too because John Holtz is a really, really nice guy. I've seen him in several interviews by himself. I don't think these guys like each other, but they won't publicly state it. Oh, I think you're right. I, I, it's, it's had, I had that feel too, and I don't know if I saw anything particular, but there's just a feel about it that feels like they may be... Daryl Hall gets very close in a Howard Stern interview in 2011. And because Howard's a very good interviewer, and he he gets him very close to saying like John Oates is you know doing his own side projects and he can do whatever he is he, what he wants to do, but I don't know how successful it's going to be. He's right. very close to like bursting. Right. Right like I, I've been carrying this asshole for the last <laughs> right, last exactly. thirty years or whatever. Uh, but anyhow, listen, I love John. John's a nice guy. He seems like a really uh, you know good guy. Right. Right. Uh, I could see them playing, I don't know, any of their later albums. The, the, I didn't find one album that was so chock full of, of great hits that I wanted to hear that in, you know, in and of itself. So something later. And then I think a good companion to this is Huey Lewis. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. Huey Lewis and a little Tears for Fears. Yeah, Tears, Tears for, for Fears. Fears is a good band. I, they feel like a good pairing for Hall & Oates in some way. 
that sort of corny keyboardy ding 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 yeah ding, those ding, <laughs> ding. you know it's got that, <laughs> those that those same. three bands and you can be out of there in 45 minutes that's yeah, a good right that's oh a, yeah that's a quick <laughs> concert that's right you guys all use the same instruments. We're not setting That's up right. I don't, for I don't, you guys. No. There's a sax over there. Right. I know that rabbit-looking fucker for Huey <laughs> Lewis does a sax solo in one of those songs. <laughs> yeah, you use the same sax player for probably all three bands. I'm sure Tears for Fears has sax in it, too. Mm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Brings us to our number twos. What you got? You had my number two, my out of touch. Aha. Mm-hmm. All right. So that brings us to my number two, which is one-on-one. went through my list of songs i fucking hate oh come on you put them all out there one on one i want to play that game tonight i i have the same note on this song that i have for like three other songs which is i don't really have a great reason why i like the song i just like the song but but there's no groove to this song it doesn't have to be a groove to this song but then why am i listening to it (laughs) <laughs> really, there's there's a number of other songs that you could be playing that actually have a group. There are, but but it also, I mean, it was everything was so trite. It was like, uh, you know, my my most hated list is probably full of of all their top hits, and I don't know. It just, oh well, we're gonna have some fun with that. Now, so if this made your top, like this is top two. This is top one two. On one. Yeah. Like. Didn't they use it for an NBA? Yeah, the NBA uh, used it as a promo in the 80s. <laughs> it tells you everybody making decisions for entertainment was on some sort of cocaine or um, other mind-altering substance. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a good idea. One-on-one, and, and that's the NBA. Of course it is. Sure Why it is. is. It's basketball. It's one-on-one. On one. Is it your favorite part of the song at the end where they go, wah, wah? Possibly. I, like I said, it, I listened to their stuff and I was like, okay, all right, yeah, I, I, I remember this song. I remember this kind of groovy feel to it. So I, I'm, I'm sticking by it. It's my list. Okay, <laughs> it's your list, all right. Thank God. <laughs> all right, so regale us with your number one. Well, my number one was also a number one for them as well. And uh, it is off of the um, Big Bang Boom, I believe, 84. I want to say, yeah, it's so, um, it is, you make my dreams come true. This is the height of the pop, the new wave, the, even the R&B. Yeah, so much, not so much there. But it's it's also kind of like that. It all fell into place for this this one song. Uh, for me, I like this song a lot. Uh, I've always liked this song, uh, even when it came out. Um, I remember the video. I, I think I remember the video where it was. Uh, maybe I don't remember the video. <laughs> I don't. I think I've got myself confused with Walk of Life by Dire Straits. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, this this song is really always. I've really liked it a lot. I used to like this song too. It's recently been absolutely slaughtered by some fucking insurance company in a commercial that kind of ruined it for me. But when I first heard the commercial, I was like, oh man, I haven't heard that song in a while. Now I can't stand it. You know, you watch the the NCAA tournament or or whatever it is where you're, you know, you're not DVRing it and you're watching everything live and you just... I just got doused in it and was like, ugh, I, they, they've ruined that song. So Daryl Hall, way to sell out. Although, actually, you don't own the rights to it. So whoever you sold it to, way to sell out. <laughs> so. I think that's why they bought it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we we know your worst song. You named it earlier for oh, me. Oh, I've got so many. Oh, more, you've got though. more. Oh, I've got more, more. Like, and, and, and here's the thing about this band in, t- in particular. They're on the list of, of songs that I just cannot stand, but I will listen to them. Like, Method of Modern Love 
has one of the stupidest <laughs> openings to a song. Chorus is awful. Those stupid horns that kind of pre-chorus. I, I, I'll listen to it though. I mean, it's not even the song title. That adult education. Adult it again. Who's starting? What? Like, did you? Can't you just start the song? Oh, why do they yeah. have to start it with with you know, the adult? Stop. Because after that, like after that first 10 seconds, it's actually a pretty, pretty decent song. And that's why. So I've got a four song list here. Family in, Man. And worst. And Family Man is on there. And my bark is much worse than my bite. So bad. But he said, leave me Oh, it's terrible. So bad. And those guitars, if that's John Oates' best guitar work, it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah, did it in a minute. That was another one. Really campy. And, and my notes on these all say cheesy. Family Man, Method of Modern Love, uh-huh. did it in a minute. I do have Man Eater on here in quotes. Ooh, the woman is wild. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So That's I, probably why it made my list. I, th- <laughs> I think I'm going to have to tag this with did it in a minute. And I'd love to tag it with Man Eater, but I did say earlier that that one was kind of bouncing back and forth between it's not a bad song and now you've got ooh, the woman is wild, ooh. So I, I will save you that one, and I'm going to leave it with did it in a minute because it's, it's campy. Here's the thing, though. And these guys were cheese balls. And again, we thought they were in on the joke. Like, hey, isn't it funny that we're a bunch of fucking nerds and we, we sing nerd nerd songs meanwhile we got six number one hits and we're we're in your face all throughout the 80s ad nauseum they headlined live aid wow philadelphia wow they were the headliner stated now that is something that daryl hall said in an interview and i said that's some bullshit right there there's no way hall and oates headlined live aid even if it was in philadelphia which it was so i just straight up like googled like live aid did hall and oates headline and sure as shit it was there they were gigantic yeah like and there were 65,000 people there were 90,000 people at live aid so we talked a little Ugh. during journey about like our respect for journey and our respect for hall and oates and, and <laughs> i know in the journey uh, pod we said both of us said that we had more respect for hall and oats than we do for journey now that we've dug we into did? it yeah <laughs> yeah and now that we've dug into it hmm. is that still a true statement they both are in the same campground i would agree and so i'll give them this i'll give them this the the first four albums of journey are completely different and and they're just not Journey. There, there's nothing about it. Yeah, nobody wants to hear them. Nobody knows a song off of those first four albums. We're talking about albums. mainstream catalogs from both of these guys. And, and you look at, look at Hall & Oates' stuff. Hall & Oates' stuff, you can actually listen to all of it. You're not going to know all of it, but it's not like that early stuff was, was way off out of left field. It's actually fairly listenable. I don't yeah. know that I would select it, but if you, you know, c- compare that to what Journey did... I think these guys had a little more continuity throughout their career, and maybe that's because Perry from Journey contributed so much writing to, to the stuff that he was involved with. Well, I don't know. Too. And the sound, for sure. So I think that, yeah, I'll give it, um, you know, I'll give Hall & Oates the edge on this. And you know, Daryl, like, I was thinking, was like, what would Daryl Hall think about that? Yeah, I don't think he would give a rooster's red ass what I think. Um, but... I'll give them the edge on that, but they're still in the same campground. They're yep. not getting out of that campground. No, like, like, no. like. But you, t- 
they're 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 their tents are closer to the showers you know the journey's <laughs> way off in the <laughs> so then but but if you started your like playlist with hall and oats and journey stuff like you're on your way to making an okay playlist scratch the surface on hall and oats a little bit you'll right. get into the cheese quick <laughs> all right what's your best four seconds uh, it's that drop from Out of Touch. I, I don't know. There's something about like because he does it in so close. Also, that that uh, that Yelp he gives. I don't know why I like that. But he, like he's practiced that. It's good. I like it. <laughs> I, I had the uh, I had the introduction to the studio version of I Can't Go for That. got he's got uh like gated reverb on his drums thank you phil collins uh with the bass playing kind of a simple rhythm and they build it in and i kind of like that that aspect of that song he is um so they played i can't go for that in their induction ceremony in 2014 he had made a super huge deal about how much he didn't give a shit about the hall of fame in 2011 that interview with howard stern how you know he he had basically said i think he did say he's like i i hate the music industry i'm glad i made my money and i got the fuck out fine fair enough that's 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 fine fair enough for him um but he he made a big deal about how he doesn't care about the Hall of Fame, um, which nobody, you know, in their right mind shouldn't care either. However, he did show up in 2014 to play his, you know, to, to be inducted and play his set. Um, and the very first song that they do is the, uh, I think it's Sarah's Smile. And you can't hear uh, Daryl Hall for the first 45 seconds. Right. And then his mic comes up and he's like, my monitors are off. I have nothing. Like, this isn't the live performance. Right. They go live with this shit. I can't help but think with somebody at the Hall of Fame (laughs) that just said, you know what? I'm going to fuck with this guy. Just turn it off. He'd been shit talking us for years. Now he's here. Now he's so we're going to fuck with him just a little bit. Um, So, and then they went on and played, uh, he went on and played, I can't go for that. And he went out of his way to make that bad song even worse there are three three two minute sax solos in that performance that Ooh. song goes on for like nine minutes and there is a soulful breakdown by daryl hall and his drummer <laughs> they just keep on going back and forth no no I mean, he went out of his way to say i'm not this is who i am i'm soul singer this is this is what soul singers do and you're just gonna have to sit and listen to it what i think that he's kind of forgetting is like people like him for his new pop new wave pop shit right like you know you got like sarah smile and and uh there's a couple other ones like rich girl those are soul songs we'll let you get away with that uh because they were good songs but the rest of it like they don't all of their other hits are all that new wave pop shit and i think he really didn't like it Right. That much. I don't know. You right. know, it's it just he I think he's got this kind of like this edge about him is like he wanted to only be known as a soul singer and he re, he 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 regrets or um he oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's just he's very kind of well, he's red assed about like he got his fame and popularity from writing bubblegum horseshit cheesy songs. Right. And I don't think he likes it. No, I think but he'd he, like to have more respect in the industry. That's the word I'm looking for. He'd like to have more respect in the industry. Where yeah, when you bring up Hall and Oates, it's like, oh, this is a joke. Like they sure. were a joke. Yeah. And I don't. I think you know. It's here's ten pounds of bubble gum. Go ahead and chew. Yeah, yeah. And I think that he's really not happy about it. So Sisters of Mercy. Do you want more? You know, I'll take what I got. I'll take my handful of six songs and uh, leave happily. <laughs> I don't really need anything more from no. you. I'll take my my top five list and move on. Move on. Yeah. It's um, nice to listen to it all again. And next time I'm at the grocery store and a song comes on, you go, oh, yeah. yeah. This was Nick's favorite song. <laughs> right. Uh, who's the MVP? That's a good question. What do you have your MVP right away? Uh, yeah, I I, I couldn't I, really I see go two much. Ways with it. I couldn't really see much else outside beyond Daryl Hall. I, the The voice is so it's such a business card for this for this band. You know who you're listening to when you hear them. Um, I think the writing was pretty good. I think 
obviously Oates contributed to that. The question, of course, is how much did Oates contribute to it? Because I don't think Daryl Hall had a lot of solo stuff. Not at all. The obvious, but but I think Daryl Hall owned the rights to these songs. I don't think Oates did, and I don't know if that's because Hall bought them out. But everything that I looked at indicated that Daryl Hall sold the catalog. Well, listen, I don't know what their business arrangement was, but I think the MVP of this band is John Oates, and let me tell you why. Okay, because the Templetons were his first band, Daryl Hall's first band. I don't. He wasn't going anywhere with them, and he happened to start writing with John Oates. Something inspired them to work together well, and I think going back to my theme for today is that Daryl Hall is a hot-headed, passionate man. <laughs> John Oates is a rudder and a keel for that. Right, and I think that you need the blusteriness of Daryl Hall to get you out on move stage the boat forward. And to move the right. boat forward. But I'm sure he's walked off stage numerous times and wanted to, to mother f the first manager he found, you know, because you know, again, like I think he wanted, like he would, he would have no problem ruining relationships um, just because I'm true to my music. And I think John Oates is kind of like that steadying, like Daryl, you go to the dressing room, let me talk to the managers. Right. I'm going to smooth everything over so we can be invited back. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. And I think that Hall and Oates wouldn't wouldn't have lasted as long with without the steadying hand of John Oates. Like okay. he just seems like a really mild-mannered guy who is a reasonable person who knows that he's got a, a, a maniac on his hands. Um, <laughs> but he's also, you know, somebody who is going to bring home the bacon for me too. Do you, I don't remember. He lets me dance around with my guitar. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't remember seeing any real outbreaks from from either of these guys. Like I don't I don't recall any real bad press on Daryl Hall. I mean, Alex Lifeson got busted for like public intoxication once. Guitarist from Rush. Thank you all for loving the Rush episode, by the way. They just love the episode. Doesn't mean they love Rush. Relax. <laughs> uh, but but you don't. I I don't recall anything any bad boy behavior from Daryl Hall. I agree. He carries a persona about him that's that's snootier than shit. He's got to pull up his ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's really evident on his um, his show that he did live at Daryl's house, which was also a pretty good show. And to hear him sing and to hear him play with those bands or the various bands or, or singers that came through was kind of fun it was kind of fun to hear him sing live again and the guy i think when he was filming it was in his late 60s i haven't seen the show in a number of years he sounded fucking great i mean for for his age i didn't hear a big change in his voice that that was kind of impressive and that brings me to another question is daryl hall better or worse in terms of vocals than steve perry oh better he's a better singer I had the same answer. Yeah, he's a better singer. I had the same answer. It, it, Steve Perry just has unique vocals, just unique. Yeah, I think I think he's a I think he's a better vocalist than Steve Perry as well. Yeah, I just wish he would love himself more because <laughs> I don't think he does. <laughs> well, one more thing we wanted to bring to you guys. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for the attention that you've given our podcast here. Uh, we're recording this on April first. And we have been live for about one week. And in that time, you folks have listened to five podcasts. How many times? Over 550 listens. Over 550 listens. Which is fantastic. In seven days. Uh, So thank you. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We're kind of doing this for fun. Well, we are doing this for fun. You've noticed there are no commercials. So (laughs) we're doing this for fun. And if you guys continue to enjoy it hey share it around like us follow us do whatever you do on your podcasts uh send it to your friends that'd be great but thank you so much we also have i don't know 300 some odd or 400 some odd members in our facebook group Mm -hmm. we're picking up followings on instagram and twitter i guess a quick breakdown on what we've seen is that uh everybody loves journey just based on the number of plays people are most interested in journey and coming in second now Granted, Van Halen was just released about three or four days ago, so it's still picking up listens. However, Rush is in second place currently. Wait, wait, just wait. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a monster out there lurking, and its initials are DL. <laughs> and, and that pod will be dropping fairly soon. So 
if you kind of look at the order we've dropped these in, our idea is we're trying to kind of bounce back and forth between different types of music. So don't think that everything's going to be Rush or everything's going to be Hall and Oates. You're going to see things kind of bounce around a little bit, and we're trying to do that to keep a, a, a broader audience. So if you don't like it one week, stay tuned. About two weeks later, you should see another one, and that's sort of the schedule we're looking at. The suggestion box is always open, too. You can drop one at any one of our socials, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Um, We always look at suggestions as well. That's all we have for this episode. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. As we said, tell your friends, follow us on any kind of social media, and share that as well. And uh, we'll be back at you with another one here soon. Thanks so very much, guys. 